Earlier this year, the CEO of a major life insurance company said death rates among working-age Americans had gone up 40% from pre-pandemic levels. A recent report by the Society of Actuaries now reinforces this alarming data. The age cohort, which we call the millennials, experienced an 84% rise of excess mortality into the fall 2021. 84% rise represented about 61,000 Americans who perished from March of 21 to February of 2022. To understand what's going on, I sit down with Edward Dowd, a former Wall Street analyst and BlackRock portfolio manager who has been analyzing data from the CDC, life insurance companies, and funeral homes. We also are seeing disability tick up tremendously. We've seen an additional three to four million Americans declare they're disabled. Edward Dowd, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Thank you so much. I appreciate you inviting me on. Well, so you've been doing uh, a lot of work crunching numbers over the last, well, at least year, actually, frankly, for, for many, many years, but specifically related to COVID, specifically related to this uh, metric of all-cause mortality. Um, and back in, I think it was, gosh, I, I can't even remember, it's, it's at the beginning of the year, you came up with some data that was showing from, I believe it was from funeral homes, you were looking at uh, data from insurance companies from a few different places, and you were seeing some significant changes. So why don't you tell me about what you found back then, and then we'll bring things up to present. Sure, no problem. Uh, my journey began <clears throat> really in February, March of 2021, when uh, the vaccine program was rolled out. I started hearing anecdotal stories about deaths, injuries. They were anecdotes. And being a, a former stock picker, portfolio manager for BlackRock, and having been on the sell side, that piqued my interest. And I'm, a, I'm into pattern recognition. And then uh, the mandates came along in the summer, uh, summer fall of uh, 2021. And I started to join um, anti-mandate rallies on Maui. And through that, I was eventually... Uh, able to meet Dr. Malone and become affiliated with him, I told him that I suspected that something possibly was going on with the vaccines. So I told him that I would investigate insurance company results, uh, funeral home results, and that I would monitor them and we'll see if anything, uh, you know, interesting or strange would happen. And sure enough, uh, in January of 2022, we got the first inkling that something was very wrong, potentially. Um, and that was One America uh, CEO, Scott Davison, was on a Chamber of Commerce call. And he wasn't aware that there was a reporter, um, Margaret Menge, from uh, City View in Indiana, following this Chamber of Commerce. And he mentioned that in the second half of 2021, all-cause mortality among especially working-age members had rose to a stunning 40%. And just to put some frame around that, um, a 10% increase in excess mortality for this working-age group would be a once-in-a-200-year flood. 40% uh, was just 
off the charts. And to understand why this is so significant is it was the group life business. And group life is a specific business. It's not individual policyholders. It's people that work for corporations. And I remember, and I'm sure many of you who have been employed in different corporations, when you onboard with the corporation, you sign your health care, and then you sign a death benefit that's given to you basically for free. Uh, and it's anywhere from $50,000 to $200,000 policy. And, you know, if you're not married, you... Um, assign the beneficiary as your parents, or if you're married, it's your spouse. So when, when we all onboard and do these things, we never expect to collect. Well, in the second half of uh, uh, 2021, Scott Davidson sent off the warning signal. And he his company, which is a $100 billion insurance company, experienced just this incredible rise in, in deaths and claims. Um, Fast forward to February, um, when the insurance companies start reporting, um, I started to see similar results from other companies. And Dr. Malone got me on uh, Steve Bannon, uh, Bannon's war room, where I started to talk about this. And I said that I wanted to be a lightning rod for this issue, which meant I wanted people that had knowledge or anything to contribute to help. And one person immediately contacted me that weekend. Uh, he's coming public now, and he's, he's uh, going to come public on his own time frame. But his name's Josh Sterling. He's a former number one ranked insurance analyst on Wall Street, worked for Bernstein, which is a very well-known research equity shop. Uh, he was on the street for seven years, and uh, he agreed to help me analyze the insurance results. So this is really fascinating, and I just want to clarify for the benefit of our viewers what 40% actually means, right? So 40% is like a war. Uh, it's, in, it's not something that happens in the normal course of business. And in uh, 2020, when COVID was uh, raging through the country, we saw that mostly older Americans died, mostly old. In 2021, um, the COVID was still going on. The vaccine rollout had occurred, but we saw a mixed shift from old to young working age people that in 2020 weren't affected by COVID to, to the same degree they were in the second half of 2021. And so this is, an, this is a, just an amazing statistical anomaly that just does not happen in the normal course of business and just life. Just in terms, in practical terms, you know, there's this sort of baseline rate of death, right? And this is like, you know, a 40% increase from that. That's why you're calling it a war. Uh, at, w to fast forward a little bit, Josh uh, started to look at CDC data. And the CDC data, as presented on their website, was lumped all ages. And so... What he was able to do was take the data, download it, and they did provide ages of the, of the deaths. So he was able to um, create age cohorts. And because he has actuarial training, he created a baseline from 2015 through 2019. That's how you calculate excess deaths. So you have to have a baseline from which to compare it against. And what he found and what I found with 
analyzing the data with them was something very alarming. Uh, the age cohort uh, from 25 to 44, which we call the millennials, uh, experienced an 84% uh, rise of excess mortality into the fall of 2021, August, September, October. And the rate of change was just dramatic. So they were running around 40, 50% in the summer. And then this parabolic spike move up into the fall. Um, and it then tailed off and, and settled back down. But, you know, 84% rise in excess mortality for that age cohort represented about 61,000 Americans who perished from March of 21 to February of 2022. And 61,000 deaths is the, is the same as uh, the Vietnam War casualties we, we experienced over 10 years where 58,000 Americans died. So something happened. I mean, my opinion is that it's the vaccines. That can be debated. We can talk. I'd love to debate anybody. The problem is there doesn't seem to be any interest in debating that issue, nor am I allowed to talk about it on certain platforms. That's all we're asking for is the ability to at least bring this, this, this tragedy uh, to light and then discuss why it's occurring. So why don't you give me a little bit of your background, actually, because, you know, this is something, obviously, you're someone that's been fascinated by numbers. You've been digging into numbers. You've been using them, you know, to predict uh, trends on Wall Street and so forth. But give me a picture of, of your background and, and how it is that this, these particular data sets um, basically became your you know, fixation, I guess. Sure. Uh, Wall Street. Uh, I'm an analyst. I started my career at HSBC. I was an institutional fixed income bond salesman. And I learned all about the capital markets, uh, bonds, uh, currencies, and how capital moves around the globe. Uh, went back to business school, Indiana University, wanted to get into uh, equity portfolio management. Uh, graduated from there, went to Donaldson Lufkin Genret, which is a well-known, or it was a well-known research equity shop, investment bank. I was an electric utility analyst, and I spent two years there doing, you know, the usual 80-hour work weeks as a junior analyst. Parlayed that into a job up in Boston. Uh, where I became a technology analyst on the, what's called the buy side, managing money for other people, and uh, did a really good job calling the dot-com top and uh, parlayed that into a BlackRock portfolio management job where I was there for 10 years picking stocks, analyzing companies, and we took our um, initial assets under management from $2 billion to $14 billion via good performance and, um, you know, acquiring share from others. And so when you got this sort of challenge, I guess, from, from Dr. Malone, was the idea expressly to try to see if the mandates themselves were having some sort of impact on uh, all-cause mortality? No. Uh, I went in with an open mind. I had a suspicion because of the anecdotes. I'm into pattern recognition. So when you pick a stock, you don't have all the information available. So a lot of the great stock picking that occurs is people have a hunch, they see a trend, the trend isn't noticeably recognized by most everyone else, and you buy the stock and then you do more work. And as your thesis over time gets proved out, you either make a lot of money or you're wrong and you sell the stock for a loss. So 
let's say this was a stock. Uh, let's say um, I wanted to buy this trend. I would buy the trend in January at the first signal from Scott Davison, and then I would do more work, which is what we did. And uh, we didn't know what we would find, but what we found actually made us even more confident in our thesis. Just recently, uh, the Society of Actuaries published, uh, you know, a data set that shows very similar results. So tell me about this. Sure, that, that, that's a great point. So we made, we made these claims, um, and, you know, I get it. It's, you know, a former BlackRock portfolio manager and a former insurance analyst. We have credentials, we have bona fides, but we're two guys on the Internet essentially making a claim, okay? That's fine. Uh, I think the problem we had is that no one wanted to talk to us about it or would really allow us to get it out on other platforms. Fine, that's the state, that's the way the world is today. Um, but then uh, two weeks ago, uh, one of my uh, insurance insiders, who's a very senior actuary at a large insurance company, who happens to think that we're correct, pointed us to the Society of Actuaries Research Institute report that was published two weeks ago. And they did what's called a group life survey where they rolled up uh, about 80% of the revenues of the industry and looked at some uh, all-cause mortality data. She pointed me to table 5.7, which uh, is on page 23 of this report. And this chart is pretty amazing. It almost exactly foots to our number from the CDC data. Now remember, the CDC data is just deaths. This data is claims, okay? So the claims that they saw, uh, in, and they broke it down into two age groups, um, 25 to 34 and 35 to 44. So in the 25 to 34, they saw 78% excess mortality in the third quarter of 2021. They also saw in the 30, the 40, the 35 to 44 age group, 100% excess mortality. We combined that group and our number was 84%. So directionally we're right. The number we have is pretty much between the two of those numbers. And remember what, what's great about this, these are two different data sets. This is CD, we, we did the CDC data, this is group life claims. So now in their report, they're not coming to the same conclusions we are, uh, and that's understandable. Um, I get it. They're not, uh, actuaries are not the bravest of people. And I've talked to actuaries and what they need, they need more data to definitively point to what I think it is. But the ones who have discernment and you know common sense are pretty much of the opinion that Josh and I are 100% right. But what we do need is we need more data from the government, which they're not providing. And if they did, the link would be there, I think, 100%. What do they say in that report? Is, is there any suggestion as to where this, this might be coming from? Because this is, you know, I think, you know, cataclysm is a, is a good word to describe 100% excess mortality in a prime working age cohort, right? They said it's long COVID, it's um, increased suicides, increased drug overdoses, and uh, missing medical screenings from the lockdowns. 
Now, I don't agree with that. And I'll tell you why. Uh, I know there was an event that occurred in the third quarter that was corporate mandates and executive order mandate by the Biden administration for companies with over 100 employees. And what we saw was a rate of change, a slope of the line into the 84%, into the third quarter that was so alarmingly fast uh, and, and large, it went from like 50% to 84% in three months. My logic is this, not everyone decided in a three month period to start committing suicide, overdosing on drugs or missing can cancer screening treatments. This, the, the, the temporal movement in the all-cause mortality into what we call the event, the mandate event, suggests not those three things. Now, are they occurring? Sure. Are they responsible for all 61,000 deaths that we've talked about? Um, no. I think a large percentage of those is due to something else, potentially. We, we can't prove it 100%, but logic, logic and deductive reasoning would suggest this needs to be talked about, which it's not. Well, and this is actually quite interesting because you know you're the the field that you're in. You know, you're do, you you always have to do a lot of predictive work because indeed you're actually trying to tell people you know what what to buy, what to sell, how to how to assess the market at a given point. So I kind of it kind of makes sense to me that you're thinking here. Correct. So one thing that people uh, need to understand is the way that Josh and I think we're Wall Street guys. When we were on Wall Street, we competed against other smart, bright people, and we would make predictions without verification using deductive reasoning, and the news eventually would prove us right, you know, either in the earnings report or the trend being confirmed, what, what have you. But, but not you always, would, right? Not always. We, yeah. we would be mm -hmm. wrong, and you're wrong, you, you know, you, you, you sell. But the point, the point is this, if you wait for the news, you miss the opportunity to make money because once everyone figures it out, it, the, the opportunity's gone. So Josh and I have a saying, and there's a saying on Wall Street, be, be right, be early, and be loud. And that's what we're doing in this, in this um, endeavor. It, Josh and I have never been more convinced that we're right than we are right now. And it, Ever since February, the data that keeps rolling in has only confirmed our suspicions, and it's not good at this point. Well, and this is the thing. Like, the question, of course, is there something causing this? Is there any other, uh, basically, idea that's been postulated, another cause that's been postulated, aside from vaccine injury and lockdown effects? Uh, long COVID is, is mentioned a lot. And I've talked to a number of doctors about long COVID, which there's no clinical definition for long COVID yet, which is suspicious. Um, I think there's a reason why they haven't really defined it, because once you define it, then other things can, you know, other potential injuries from vaccines could be pointed to. So that it, it's not really being defined. Long COVID is not being defined. The other thing I'd like to say about long COVID is it just, it wouldn't all happen in the third quarter in a three-month time frame. And then the other point I want to make that SOA, SOA basically took excuses 
that were previously made about the CDC data we discovered. And, and mind you, a lot of the data uh, that we discovered did make its way around the insurance industry because we made sure of it. We sent, uh, Josh sent 100 letters to the CEOs in April uh, and 50 state regulators talking about the CDC data we found. We invited some of them onto calls. We only had about 25 participants. So the insurance industry was aware of this and they were aware of the counter arguments. But I'd like to use their own, um, uh, if you think about what a group life policy is, okay? Group life policy is someone who's employed. They tend to not be drug users. They tend not to be super unhealthy and suicidal. So I, I, I get, the, I, I could understand some of the arguments when it was just the CDC data, but this group of people employed tend to have higher health um, uh, profiles. And that's why these policies were so profitable for so many years. You're gonna give someone a $200,000 death benefit knowing that they, there's a 99% chance they're not gonna die while they're employed. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to comment here a little bit because some of these, like those, the, for example, missed cancer screenings and things of that nature, like we were, you know, very early on, we were discussing this on the show with a number of experts and we were expecting some significant results. Although the question is how quickly would you see those results, right? Because this cancer tends to be something that's progressive, like for, right? Um, another uh, issue, of course, the suicide, people being locked down, alone, isolated. You can imagine professionals, you know, their suicide rate going up substantially as well, um, as an example. So, so there, is, there is some case to be made here. Correct. But the, uh, the, the, the profile of the people they give these policies to is health, generally healthier than the, the, the general population. I feel like they punted on trying to talk about what was causing this by using arguments that were, you know, for the CDC data, general population. They're, they're, the, these guys are smart. They price these policies knowing that the people that they're giving these policies to are much healthier. Okay, understood. You know, I'm going to uh, quote from something you posted recently on Getter. You said, just a reminder that Pfizer failed the all-cause mortality endpoint in their absurdly short 28-day trial. Well, let's focus on just what what this endpoint is and uh, explain to me what you're trying to say there. So what's not really well understood uh, is that when you go and do clinical trials for new drugs, there's all sorts of endpoints you test for. And one of the biggest ones is all-cause mortality, meaning if the product, um, and, and again, it doesn't have to be um, scientifically proven that the death is from the product. It just has to say, statistically speaking, if the product ends up causing more death in the, in the product group versus the placebo, then the risk reward isn't there to justify the approval, right? So I was not aware that they had failed this endpoint until October of 2021, when a friend of mine in the biotech industry told me about a fire FOIA request that dropped. So I went and got it. I looked at the actual document. And sure enough, in the 28-day trial, 23% more people died in the vaccine group than the placebo group. 
And I asked him, I said, his name's Eric. I said, Eric, what would happen normally from your experience on Wall Street if this endpoint was uh, uh, missed by, say, a single product company? He said the, 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 a product would not be approved and the stock would open up down 80% the next day. This is typically what happened from FDA approvals. So not only did they ignore that, they hid it from us and focused on the endpoint, which was effectiveness, which has turned out to be a lie. Um, sorry, what do you mean by that? The, the endpoint of effectiveness being a lie? Uh, so the endpoint they tested for and that was in the reports when they made all the fanfare that was that it was 95% effective in protecting you against getting COVID. But that's turned out to be absolutely false. People get COVID all the time who are vaccinated. So that 95% has turned out to be just a complete bald-faced lie. And that's empirically proven all over the place right now. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they turned the endpoint into um, reduced, uh, you know, reduced illness, right? So the endpoint originally was you're not going to get COVID nor transmit it. Then it turned into, well, you're not going to get hospitalized. That's, by the way, there's no study or data on that. That just, in my opinion, humble opinion, is a talking point, a marketing point. It, it's meaningless to me. So... You also uh, have recently been looking at or beginning to look at some of this UK uh, excess data, um, especially for young age groups. So tell me a little bit about this. You, were, you put up a chart that, frankly, is pretty stunning. Yeah, so um, I've uh, formed a new partnership with some um, PhD physicists in uh, Portugal. Uh, we're starting a hedge fund. But you know, they're also, like me, concerned about what's going on, and they use their skill set to analyze uh, the UK data. And this was their idea. They, they're seeing currently excess mortality in the UK running at 10 to 20 percent as of today, and it, it had been. And what they discovered was that the age groups 1 through 14, prior to um, vaccine uptake, because you got to remember this age group took up the vaccines later than everybody else because the approvals came later. But what they found was that uh, in 2020 and a large portion of 2021 before the vaccine rollouts, their excess mortality was actually going down. And why, why was, well, it was going down prior to this anyways, but it accelerated a little bit because the lockdowns um, actually, uh, you know, stopped activity of children moving around and that age group moving around. And you have to remember that the biggest single cause of death for this age group is uh, accidental. And sure enough, um, they've shown that when the vaccines begin to roll out, the slope of the excess mortality line starts to rise for, these, for this age group. It's stunning. This is a group of individuals that doesn't typically overdose on drugs commit suicide or miss cancer screening treatment. So that, that's why I applaud them for thinking about this and looking at this data, because it, it, in my mind, it's a smoking gun. Well, it, it, it is a very, very stark change. And it makes perfect sense that, that this all-cause mortality would go down under a lockdown-type regime. Uh, 
especially as you said that you know accidents are the the primary cause of death and then suddenly this again you get this mystery factor coming in correct and it it, it started happening in uh, late 21 and it's continuing in 2022 and just for the record you're not shorting uh, Pfizer stock or anything like that are you no, I made an announcement when I started this that I would not be involved in making money off of this, primarily because um, I knew that potentially I would be creating news, and I didn't want anybody coming after me for anything. And I just, for me, making money off this tragedy is, uh, it's not my idea of ethical behavior, so I'm not doing it. I'm not shorting any of these drug makers. And the other thing that I learned uh, from speaking with Robert Malone actually was that it's actually you and a few others who are based in Hawaii that came up, which was something that has come to be known as the Malone Doctrine, which I thought was a a very thoughtful document, frankly. Yes, thank you. Um, When Dr. Malone was here, he gave a speech about you know, what was wrong at the FDA and these other institutions. And the idea came to us that that we're not going to be able to change those institutions from the inside. We have to declare another hill on which to fight. And the hill we decided to, you know, plant our flagpole was the hill of integrity. And so the idea around this doctrine was to declare independence from institutions that lack integrity. And if you wanted us to adhere to your edicts um, uh, and decisions you make for us, you have to do the following things. And if you look at the 10 points of the Malone Doctrine, one of them is you know, provide all the data that you're using to make your decision. Um, uh, you know, t- uh, share all conflicts of interest. Um, do not engage in censorship of ideas. So it's just, this is just normal Americans trying to reframe the debate and say, we are independent from your decisions if you don't do the following. Now, granted, it's just a piece of paper, but pieces of paper, once implemented and spread across the world, can have power. So right now, it's got no teeth. But over time, we're hopeful that as... um, this comes to light and institutions are uh, raised and rebuilt, that the Malone Doctrine will be incorporated into many, many different institutions. It just struck me as like kind of the basic common sense of what you might expect from anybody that's uh, ostensibly working for the public good, right? Especially government body. Correct. And something, something's happened, obviously. You know, this, this corruption at the FDA in my humble opinion, has been there forever, okay? Um, and the, this COVID issue has brought it to light. So the, the institution, I call it the institutional imperative. And what that is, is that's something Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger talk about, where in corporate America, the, the, the um, agents of the company, the CEOs and the C-suite, um, run the company for their own benefit rather than for that of the shareholders, okay? Uh, And that's how a lot of fraud, greed, and corruption happens in corporate America. Well, let's talk about the institutional imperative in government agencies. Well, clearly, uh, the FDA, over time, became beholden to pharmaceutical companies, primarily because half their budget comes from pharma in the form of fees. That's 50% of their budget, maybe more. 
And now it's coming to light that um, patents and, and partnerships and the revolving door, you're like, you're at the FDA for five years, you do some favors for them, and then you end up with this, you know, a cushy job making, you know, seven figures. Um, so this happens over time, and it becomes institutionalized. And so people that in the FDA, they're not bad people, but they see how other people succeed. And they, it just, it just, it's a slow, insidious process. And you, and, this, and that's how uh, institutions get corrupted. I saw it in corporate America. I saw it in some of the great frauds, Enron, WorldCom. It's just, everyone, it becomes normalized. Corruption becomes normalized. And people don't see it on a daily basis, but they're in it. And why is it called the Malone Doctrine then? Um, well, because we made a bet that he was going to become a um, spokesperson for this freedom uh, movement in, in healthcare and around the globe. And so we basically said, you're the guy with the brand, and we think you could probably promulgate this the best. And he was very touched that we gave it to him. But, you know, it's not about the four of us who wrote it. It's about the idea of the Malone Doctrine. It's not about credit. It's about adoption. And, you know, this, is, this was a gift to Dr. Malone, and Dr. Malone is going to make it a gift to the world. And hopefully, over time, this gets adopted. So I understand that you're putting all this research that you've done into a book form. That's correct. I was approached by Gavin DeBecker and Tony Lyons of Skyhorse Publishing. Um, we wanted to examine uh, the anecdotal evidence that seems to be growing every day of very fit, young, athletic people across this country and the globe dropping dead on the field and very close to after athletic events. And then uh, I'm going to go into my journey and my thesis as to what may be causing that and providing what we call metadata, insurance data, CDC data, other data that um, points to what I think and believe is the cause, which is the vaccines. Well, um, any final thoughts as we finish up, Ed? Um, let me just say this. Where are we? It's um, August 30th, 2022. And I think, uh, you know, you don't have to agree with my conclusions, but I think you're going to see what I'm talking about being debated more and more as time goes on, because we're seeing really, really adverse health effects starting to materialize. Um, excess mortality is still running at 20%, well above where it should be with the pandemic being officially over and everyone declaring victory. We also are seeing disability tick up tremendously. Um, we've looked at the US Bureau of Labor Statistics Disability Survey, which they do monthly, and it was running around 29 to 30 million for the last five years prior to 2021. We've seen uh, an additional three to four million Americans declare they're disabled. And again, this is not tied to a claim or a doctor's note, it's self-identification, it's a survey. And we, we think this has massive implications for the labor market, inflation. This is a crisis of epic proportions that no one seems to be talking about. At the very least, this should be acknowledged and there should be investigations all over the country to try to figure out the silent killer. I think I know what it is, but you know, there's not even a discussion about it. 
Well, Edward Dowd, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much, and uh, I appreciate you reaching out to me. Thank you all for joining Edward Dowd and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kellek. Mm-hmm.